welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, Chase, we are about ready for the the last bit of uh, Paul's defenses before these Gentiles and kings. This is what Jesus said would happen at Paul's conversion as he's going to take the word to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles and before these rulers. And he has multiple opportunities in these chapters to try, really try and convert uh, some of these rulers. I appreciate Paul's boldness in all this. Yeah, that's right. And remember, this is all part of Paul's journey to get to Rome and to appeal to Caesar. We'll read a little bit more about that in chapter 25. But that's kind of Paul's goal. That's his long-term want is to get to Rome um, to get to obviously spend time with the brethren there and proclaim the gospel in Rome, uh, a big major city yeah. in that day and age, and still big city today too. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, he's going to get to Rome, but not in the way that he had right. expected. So we're in Acts twenty-five today. If you're following along, uh, we hope that you can open the scriptures and uh, read with us. We'll be reading here as we go. Um, Acts twenty-five. We'll read verses one through twelve. And just again to set the stage, Paul has just. Uh, spent two years in prison. Easy for us to just read right over that, but that's a long time for Paul to be left there by Felix, who was kind of stringing him along, you know, heard him multiple times, but was hoping to get a bribe from Paul. And uh, it says at the end of chapter 24, verse 27, when two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, he left Paul in prison. And so we're going to talk here about Festus. And again, man, two years is a long time to wait for a a trial. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, Acts 25, verses 1 through 12. Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up from Jerusalem, or he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he summon him to Jerusalem, because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea, and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there's anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer, and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. All right, so Paul, he's still not 
too good of friends with the Jews. Um, even though two years has went by, they're still, of course, seeking to have him killed. Um, I don't know if this is the same 40 guys or not <laughs> I don't know. that we talked about before who took a vow to not eat or drink before they killed Paul. I don't think they've survived for I, two years I, yeah. if they kept their vow. I don't know if they would have enough energy to, to be able to carry out something like that anyways if they kept the vow. But this is... Um, this is sad, but at the same time, you see God's hand working as Paul gets closer and closer to his destination of Rome. Um, but these guys, it says in verse 3, they were setting an ambush to kill Paul on the way to this to this concession um, that was going to be brought against Paul. Um, and so anyways, these people are very much so still adamant about having Paul killed. Yeah, it's really amazing because they, they tried this ploy under Felix right. to try to get him, oh, like... Get the judge, and I think it was the council last time, the Jewish council, like, hey, get, call for Paul again, hear his case, and we're just going to kill him before he gets there. Because remember, Paul has been staying in Caesarea, just kind of up to the northwest of Jerusalem, up on the coast, and Festus has come down to Jerusalem, and so the Jews are like, Paul was escorted up to Caesarea with that huge army thing, <laughs> and now they're saying, all right, bring him back to Jerusalem. And will kill him when he gets close. That's where they really have control and are more, better able to ambush is in the Jerusalem area. And, and Festus is like, no, if you if you have something against him, send guys up to Caesarea and I'll hear him. And so that's what they do again. And I mean, this is just old hat at this point. They've heard Paul's defense multiple times. No one will give him justice. And so it's during this defense before Festus that Paul is like, come on, guys. Like, if I've done anything wrong, I don't refuse to die. You know, like, if I'm some terrible evildoer, you know, then throw the books at me. But you can't find anything on me. And so I think this is the point at which Paul is just tired of the political runaround. And is like, listen, I'm a Roman citizen. I want to appeal to a higher court. Uh I appeal to Caesar. You know, I'm going to take this all the way to the top. If mm -hmm. you guys can't get your act together and bring any charges against me, maybe a higher court will give me justice. And I just have a hard time believing that they all can remember the details of, of why he's on trial to begin with, with the amount of time that's went by at this point. But all they know is, is that here is this man who used to be one of them, um, used to be a Pharisee, and now he's claiming to be a Christian. And he's taking a lot of people away from the Jewish faith uh, because of what he's teaching. And so don't forget that that's kind of, or definitely their motivation behind wanting to have him killed is the damage that he's doing to the Jewish faith um, with bringing so many people to Christianity. Yeah. And you know what's interesting is, is Paul, something I appreciate through these chapters is his, I mean, he's firm with his case, but he is respectful to these different rulers, even though... You can just see the politics going on. They're wanting to, you know, Felix is wanting to bribe. Festus is wanting to do the Jews a favor again. You see that at the end of chapter 24. You see that in chapter 25, verse 9, that these guys are not interested in justice for Paul. And yet Paul is still respectful to them and saying, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna go through the system. I'm not seeking to do something illegal. I'm, I'm not seeking to do something wrong. I'm going to, he's going to serve God rather than men. But I think that there's just some helpful lessons as we see Paul's defense, as we see him working within the corrupt political system, not being corrupt himself, 
but the respect that he has for these rulers who are not acting very respectfully right. is a helpful example for us too. You know, we live in days where politics are still going on and people are still not acting respectfully, but we're told to show honor to whom honor is due. And uh, we see Paul doing that really well in these chapters. Yeah, that's right. Um, and uh, Stephen brought it out earlier. I just, I appreciate his his open and honesty in verse 11. Like, look, if, if there really was something that I did that was wrong, just go ahead and kill me. Like, I'm fine to die if I did something that was truly wrong. Um, but, of course, he hadn't done anything wrong worthy of death. And so, hand me over to Caesar. Let me go to him. And, well, you've appealed to Caesar. To Caesar, you shall go. So, they, they abide by his wishes there as a Roman citizen to appeal to this higher court. And so, that's where he's going to go. So, let's go ahead and read the next section. Uh, we'll read verses 13 through 27. It says, Now when several days had elapsed, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and paid their respects to Festus. And while they were spending many days there, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man who is, who is left as a prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it is not the custom of the Romans to hand over any man before the accused meets his accusers face to face and has an opportunity to make his defense against the charges. So after they had assembled here, I did not delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought before me. When the accusers stood up, they began bringing charges against him, not of such crimes as I was expecting. But they simply had some points of disagreement with him about their own religion and about a dead man, Jesus, whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate such matters, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there stand trial on these matters. But when Paul appealed to be held in custody for the emperor's decision, I ordered him to be kept in custody until I send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. So on the next day, when Agrippa came together with Bernice amid great pomp and entered the auditorium accompanied by the commanders and the prominent men of the city at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all you gentlemen here present with us, you see this man about whom all the people of the Jews appealed to me, both at Jerusalem and here loudly declaring that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death, and since he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to send him. Yet I have nothing definite about him to write to my lord. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the investigation has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems absurd to me in sending a prisoner not to indicate also the charges against him. All right, so here, I mean, it is kind of interesting just to see, again, kind of the behind-the-scenes politics of what's going on here, that uh, Festus is a little bit like, I, I don't know what to do with this guy. Right. Well, and here comes Agrippa through town. And so, hey, fellow you know, political leader, can you help me out here? Uh, you 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 know more about this than I do, and it and it does call him a king here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so he um, lays his case before Agrippa and is like, "All right, hey, can you can you help me figure this out? <laughs> like, here's this guy, 
you know, I was expecting the Jews to come in and lay out some terrible thing that he's done, but it really wasn't much. It's, it's funny to hear the summary that he gives of the dispute. Verse 19, um, they rather had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. It's just really funny to hear like an outsider's perspective on the gospel and how they're viewing what they perceive to be, oh, well, this is a Jewish dispute, and there was this dead guy, and like, it yeah. was, it's really funny. And it's interesting to look at the family tree here. Uh, we won't go into all the details on it, but there is King Agrippa here mentioned in verse 13. This would have been the son of King Agrippa I, and that's the guy that we talked about in Acts 12 that had James, the brother of John, decapitated, actually, um, back in Acts chapter 12. Um, and it's also interesting, it mentions that with him is this woman named Bernice in verse 13 and verse 23, and that was just his sister. Uh, so these are both the children of Agrippa I, the one that had James decapitated. So I don't think King Agrippa here, the, the one we're talking about currently, wasn't, I don't think he was unfamiliar with the movement of Christianity or anything like that. I think he would have been familiar with that, it. That's right. And that's why, um, I mean, and he would have had, um, he's going to say in the next chapter, you know, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Like Agrippa, Paul has a little bit more of an inroad with Agrippa because he knows a lot more about the Jews. And, and of course, the family of the Herods is reigning among the Jews during all this time. Well, and what's interesting is they also, Agrippa and Bernice, had another sister named Drusilla that we were that was mentioned back in chapter 24 and verse 24, and it calls her a Jewess in my translation. I mean, she was a woman who was a Jew. So they were very familiar with the customs of the Jews and so forth. Yeah, and in 26.3, he will say, I, mean, I have gratefully make my defense because you're right. familiar with right. all the customs and controversies of the Jews. We'll read that in just a minute. Right. And so... Uh, Festus is getting advice from Agrippa here. Man, it's so hard to keep these names straight. I know. Go there. Yeah. <laughs> Felix Festus. Yeah. So Felix, Festus, Agrippa. And now um, they come in. And again, you just see the politics in verse uh, 23 that they come in with this great pomp. You know, there's this, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if it's a parade or procession kind of thing. But when they come into the auditorium, the place where Paul's being tried, there's just all this fanfare as they come in and uh i mean you can just see it right that the niv says they they come in the room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city so yeah just just that almost arrogance that comes when all of the the big names walk into the courtroom right and this is going to be paul's uh, at least in the book of acts kind of his last big defense and so he has an opportunity to speak before these kings of course, Paul's being brought in as a prisoner, as a so-called criminal, and yet it's interesting to think about like the fanfare in the heavens when you know Paul is the one announcing the true King Jesus. It just the, the contrast here is kind of fascinating. So let's talk about Paul's defense before Agrippa. Uh, we'll get into chapter twenty-six here. I'm beginning reading in verse one. So Agrippa said to Paul, "You have permission to speak for yourself." Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. 
Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them, even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, to the, uh, for this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to both to our people and to the Gentiles. All right, so Agrippa says, Paul, floor is yours. What do you have to say? And Paul has a lot to say, doesn't he? Yeah. And, I, and this is a side note, but he he stretched out his hand. There's several times yeah. in the book of Acts where he said he motioned with his hand or stretched out his hand. I wonder if he had some kind of mannerism that was like <coughs> the Paul. Yeah, that's right. And he he does the the motion with his hand and uh, and gives his defense. Yeah. And so um, he starts off by, by in verse two in regard to all the things of which I am accused of by the Jews. I consider myself fortunate that I'm about to make my defense before you today. Okay, so I, I don't know in the history of people being on trial, anyone starts it with, oh, I'm glad I'm here today. You know, I'm <laughs> glad I get this opportunity. But of course, Paul, as we just read, he's 
floored and, and well, he has the floor and he's happy that he has an opportunity to tell people about his life and to tell people about um, Jesus and what Jesus did in his life. Uh, that's why he's excited to be able to be here. Well, and in particular, he's probably most excited because he maybe thinks this is his best shot at a fair trial. Right. Because, <laughs> because as he says in verse 3, you are an expert in all customs and questions among the Jews, like you mentioned a second ago. Um, so this guy is going to be somewhat familiar with a lot of the things that Paul is talking about. Some of these other guys, Festus and Felix, it's kind of new to them. They didn't completely understand everything that Paul had been saying. Right. And they're kind of at a loss as to how to examine him. Right. But Agrippa, he's going to be like, okay, you understand, Agrippa, like more of the details about the Jews and the, the arguments that go on. And you know. And so he starts out with his life in Judaism. Mm-hmm. And he says, listen, like my opponents know this too. I used to be one of them. I was a Pharisee. And I am standing here because of the resurrection of the dead. That is just fascinating to me over and over and over. The emphasis on the resurrection in these trials. And of course, we saw back when Paul was before the Jewish council that it caused the argument between the Pharisees and Sadducees. It hasn't been causing that ruckus here among the Gentiles. But it's still the point of emphasis. Christianity is built on the resurrection of Jesus. And, and that was the, the impression even that Festus got because he didn't know much about this. He's like, well, it was all about this dead guy that Paul's saying is alive again. you know. Yeah. And here, again, Paul points it, he, it's, he's very pointed in the way that he says this in verse 8. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Why are you surprised that God can do that, basically? Yeah. yeah. Why should you be surprised by this? And again, with Agrippa, he, he knows more about this. He knows about the prophets. He's going to appeal strongly to Agrippa. You believe this. And the prophets and Moses said this would happen. And so why, why is anybody not believing that God would raise the dead? And of course, referring specifically to Jesus. And so he talks about his own opposition to Jesus. Yeah. And again, verse 9 is helpful. I was convinced that I ought to do these many things. He said a couple chapters ago that he's lived his whole life in good conscience. This is a similar statement here. I, I thought I ought to oppose him until I met him. And as just a side note here, a lot of times we talk about how Paul killed Christians. It, the text never actually says that Paul killed Christians, but it notes here in verse 10, when they were being put to death, Paul cast his vote against them. Verse 11, and as I punished them often in all the synagogues. Um, so, I, yeah, it never explicitly says he was, he had murdered He wasn't or doing killed. the killing, right. But he he wanted them to die. Yeah, he certainly, And yeah. so he cast his vote against yeah, them. Yeah, certainly part of it. And trying to make them blaspheme. I'm, I'm right. assuming there were beatings going on. I don't know what all he did to try to make them blaspheme and renounce Jesus. But Paul is very aware and remembers all that he did against Jesus and against the cause. And Jesus will say, I mean, this is the third time that Paul recounts his conversion in the book of Acts. you got Acts 9, Acts 22, now Acts 26. And Jesus says to Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul had to realize that. that like, I'm not just hurting these Christians, but I have been hurting Jesus himself. Because Jesus says... When you do these things to my people, you're doing it to me. Mm-hmm. 
And it's interesting here, there's the, the added note, what, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A goad isn't something we use all the time, but it's, it's cattle prod, right? Is kind of the idea, something that you nudge to, to get the cattle to move. Um, and it, it, are you really going to kick against that is kind of the idea here. Yeah, that, that Jesus has been working on Paul, and now he's, this is the kind of the final the final straw to get him to, to turn and to say, stop fighting this and and work for me, work with me. And that's exactly what he's going to do. You're going to go to your own people. You're going to go to the Gentiles. And man, I love the description in verse 18. This is what Paul's going to do for the Gentiles and for anyone who will listen to open their eyes, that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. And that's that's the idea of conversion, right? Mm -hmm. We're called out of darkness into light, from the domain of Satan to the domain of God. And then to receive forgiveness of sins and sanctification by faith in Jesus. Right. I mean, what a beautiful description of the gospel in just one verse. And again, all of this is urging Agrippa, listen, you you can receive this. You're one of the Gentiles. You're, you're the one who can, can, can listen to this and can be forgiven. You can become a Christian is kind of his underlying tone in all of this. And notice how this, again, it, it leads back to Paul's defense in verse 20. And I listened, right? Uh, I didn't, well, verse 19, I didn't prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. And notice what comes up in verse 20. I kept de- declaring both to those of Damascus first and also Jerusalem throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance, you know. That's really why Paul is on trial here. They accused him of bringing a Gentile into the synagogue or into the temple. And Paul hadn't done that, but now he's explaining why he's hanging around Gentiles to begin with. So just notice he does he does get around to his defense, but at the same time, he puts the focus on the Lord. Right. And again, he puts it back on the Jews and says, I wasn't stirring up trouble, but they tried to kill me in right. the temple. <laughs> you know, because really, again, he's on trial. The whole thing goes back to that they thought he defiled the temple, thought he brought a Gentile in, and he's defending himself. And so um, he ends his defense. I love what he says in verse 22 as well. Mm-hmm. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God. Yep. And so I stand here testifying both to small and to great. And isn't that true? I mean, Paul has been going around in villages, in towns, talking to servant girls, talking to people oppressed by demons, talking to anybody who will listen, and now also talking to kings and rulers, and eventually, you know, up to, wants to get to Caesar at some point. It doesn't matter the rank or the social status of the person. Paul wants them to hear the gospel. What a great example for us. Uh, sometimes it's easy for us to assume, well, this person's too lowly. They don't want to hear the gospel. Or maybe even, oh, this person's too high up. They don't want to hear the gospel. And Paul's like, I don't I don't care who it is. Right. Both to small and to great, he is going to procl- tell them about Jesus. And again, he appeals to Agrippa's knowledge. He says, I- I'm saying nothing except what the prophets right. of Moses said would come to pass. The Christ is going to suffer. And by being the first to rise from the dead, he's going to proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Paul just summarizes his mission over and over in these chapters and is saying, this has all been in the plan the whole time. I'm not just making this stuff up. This isn't just Paul's 
you know, renegade message. Mm -hmm. But I have realized that this has been the goal of God the whole time for the Jews. Yeah. If I can make a point too, just a practical application here. This is the third time we've seen Paul tell his story, Acts 9, Acts 22, and now Acts 26. And sometimes you'll hear this terminology used sometimes in churches as, well, I'm going to go witness to somebody. I'm going to go testify to them. And sometimes what that means is is I'm going to go tell them my conversion story in hopes that they're moved by that enough to change their mind and give their life over to Christ. I want us to note something in all three instances where the story is told, specifically in 22 and 26, whenever Paul is telling these stories. Yes, he's telling them about what personally happened to him, but notice that in both of those instances, who the true focus of the story is. The true focus is on Jesus. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want people to be motivated to change and be moved to change just by his story. He wants them to be motivated and moved to change because of what Jesus went through. And Paul puts the focus there on that for a reason. I'm moved when I think about what happened to Paul and think about the road to Damascus. But I shouldn't be impressed by Paul. I should be impressed by Jesus. So when we go out and tell others about our conversion experience or how we came to Christ or what nudged us and what goaded us in the right direction to want to learn more about Jesus, remember the emphasis shouldn't be on you. It should be on the Lord and what he did in your life. Let that speak for itself and not your own personal testimony. That is a great point. And it's important for us to share what God has done for us. I think about what Jesus told the guy that he cast the legion out of, you know, go home to your friends and tell them what great things God has done for you. But So it is telling them what God has done for you, but it's what God has done for you. Our lives are to be pointing to God, pointing to Jesus. He's the one who changed Paul's life. And again, Paul was literally witnessing to these things because he saw the Lord with his own eyes on that road to Damascus. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we don't have the same kind of eyewitness testimony that they do. We can see, we can tell people about the change that's happened in their lives. But there was an extra layer of importance to the eyewitnesses of the risen Jesus, of which Paul became one. And that's, that's an important distinction when we talk about testimony as well, is because our testimony is not that I saw Jesus alive again, but here's the change that the gospel has had in my life. And there's just a helpful distinction there. And again, like you said, the emphasis has to be on the Lord. Right. Amen. Well, let's kind of see the, the conclusion here. Um, Paul's going to get interrupted. So let's read verse 24 to the end of the chapter. It says, while Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. For the king knows about these matters, and I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, Do you believe in the prophets? I know that you do. Agrippa replied to Paul, In a short time, you will persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would wish to God that whether in a short time or a long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. The king stood up, and the governor, and Bernice, 
and those who were sitting with them. And when they had gone aside, they began talking to one another, saying, This man is not doing anything worthy of death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not been uh, not appealed to Caesar. Really fascinating to see the, the two reactions of Festus, who's getting advice here, and of Agrippa, who has a more accurate knowledge of these things. Festus is the one who speaks up. And kind of, I don't know if he interrupts Paul or is like, Paul, you're crazy, man. Like, you're so smart, but your smarts have gotten the best of you and you're going mad. Yeah. Um, there's a phrase we sometimes use for this. He's too smart for his own good, right? Yeah. We, we sometimes do that. And that's what he's saying here. Your, your great learning has made you go crazy. But, and, of course, Paul says, I'm not out of my mind. I'm, I'm as clear as I've ever been. Um, and I like how he says this. I utter words to you of sober truth. Yeah, mine says, I am speaking true and rational words. Okay, yeah. When I think of just that, that extra adjective, sober truth, it's like the, these are cold, hard facts. Yeah. <laughs> you can't sugarcoat them, and it is what it is. got to deal with it. That's right. And he notes, I mean, the king knows about these things. I think he's referring to Agrippa here. Um, and to him I speak boldly. I'm persuaded none of these things have escaped his notice. This has not been done in a corner. Yeah. I like that. That yeah. Paul is speaking about things that are on the public record. The eyewitnesses to Jesus have been out there. I mean, his crucifixion was public. He appeared to over 500 people at one time. And this has been spreading throughout the Roman Empire. Like, these guys know about the movement of the way. It's not been done in a corner. And then he turns his attention to King Agrippa. And really is trying to drive him to a decision. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. He says this in verse 27. And so again, Paul is not just trying to say, hey, here's some cool facts. Thought you'd like to know about Jesus. But now he's like, do you believe? Because this matches the prophets that you do believe in. I mean, this is Paul's constant appeal to the Jews. He'll quote their scriptures. He'll quote the prophets and say, this Jesus that I'm telling you about that rose from the dead, this is fulfilling what God said was going to happen. And th- that connection drives people to a decision. If this is true, it changes everything. If Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead, it affects my life. It affects reality. Like he's he's coming back. I and mean, he reasoned with uh, Felix about the coming judgment. Uh, you know, righteousness, self-control, the coming judgment. We talked about that last week. And now Agrippa has a decision before him. Right. But he seems to kind of maybe deflect. It's hard to tell. Different yeah. translations do different things Yeah, verse 28. Yeah. So mine says, in a short time, you will persuade me to become a Christian. Does the ESV say similarly? It, it has it as a question. Okay. In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And so it's hard to tell if he's being... So there's kind of three options. E- either Agrippa's being sincere and is saying, wow, like... You're, you're just about to persuade me. Like, I'm almost there. Or he's asking Paul kind of like, are you, are you trying to convert me like today? <laughs> like right now in a short time? Or he's being kind of sarcastic and saying, wow, yeah, you're going you're gonna to convert me today, Paul. Um, I'm not sure what sense he meant it in, but it's clear that Paul is trying to drive him to conversion, and, and this does seem to be a little bit of, of a deflection, right? Of like, well, Regardless. I'm not going to make a decision. Like, well, what are you trying to do here, Paul? Right. Is what he's 
And how, however he meant it, Paul did take what he said seriously by the way he replies in yeah. verse 29. You know, I, I would wish to God, whether in a short time or a long time, not only you, but everybody would hear me and do what's right. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, become such as I am. Yeah, the idea. Yeah, Except for these chains. <laughs> yeah, don't, hopefully you don't get locked up. But because uh, it's not fun is what he's saying. Yeah, um, he's he, been stuck for two years and, and is finally getting an opportunity yeah. to... Maybe get out. But it is kind of interesting what happens here at the end of the chapter. Um, you know, they get up and they kind of go in the other room and talk it over. And what's the conclusion they reach? Hasn't done anything deserving of death. He's innocent. Yeah. Yeah, he's, there's, he hasn't done anything. And Agrippa even makes a point in verse 32. You know, if it wasn't for him appealing to Caesar, he might have been set free. Right. Um, but that's where Paul wants to go. And, of course, we'll see that's his passage to, uh, to Rome. Mm-hmm. Not the way he intended to get there, I no. don't think, but uh, that's how he's going, how the Lord's going to use all of this. And I think that's fascinating because, I mean, sometimes it seems really sad. Like, oh, Paul, why'd you have to open your mouth and appeal to Caesar? But the Lord is going to use all of this no. in his plan and use it to bring the gospel to more people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I, I just, we, we've made this point several times in these last few chapters as Paul goes through these different courts, but... I don't know about you all, but I, I will sometimes play that game in my head where I go, okay, if I was sitting before, you know, President Trump, what what would I talk with him about? You know, and I, I think Paul, it didn't matter who he was sitting in front of. He was going to be bold and tell them about the gospel. And so I don't know if, if you all have thought through those things, but be more realistic with yourself. What about that coworker that you haven't had a chance to talk to yet? What are you going to say to them? Think through how you would speak up and and give a cause for Christ, uh, speak up for the cause of Christ. And I just appreciate it. It didn't matter who Paul was in front of. He had something to say about Jesus. Um, So that just encourages me as I think about the need to be more bold in my approach to teaching and preaching the gospel. Yeah, And, and just his directness with he presents the facts. He presents rational, sober words. But then he asks, do you believe this? And that is a really important question for all of us. As we're reading this, do you really believe? Is this true? Is this just some kind of academic exercise where we learn more about a book that's cool? Or is it truth? Are we reading things that actually happen? Because if they did, it changes everything. And that's Paul's life. That's his, his whole life is pointing to that. I saw Jesus and because I encountered him, Everything is different. My life has purpose. My life has meaning. I'm suffering for this, but I'm rejoicing. Mm-hmm. And I love just the message of the book of Acts is how the gospel is changing hearts, changing lives, spreading throughout the world. And it it's not just facts. It's not just data. It starts with that, but it's data that changes our life. Yeah. It leads to faith. Yeah, amen. Well, Lord willing, next week, we have a little bit of a different chapter ahead of us. Uh, Paul is going to go on his journey to Rome, like we've been anticipating, but there is going to be some turmoil, uh, specifically a shipwreck that we'll read about, Lord willing, next week yeah. on his way there. Of all the things that you can make into a movie, it's like Acts 27. Yeah. It's like Paul's seafaring adventures. Yeah, and it is it is very detailed, I'll tell you that much. So um, we look forward to talking about that, Lord willing, next week. Yeah. If you're enjoying what you're hearing on the podcast, uh, do please subscribe rate review that will help us uh, to get this out if you'd like to study with us um, like we're doing in these podcasts we would love to hear from you personally 717-585-0949 capitalcitychristians at gmail.com or for more information 
uh, capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.